when Rachel and I, for those of you who don't know, Rachel is my wife. When Rachel and I first started dating, well, first started like hanging out. I don't even think, I don't even think she was like my girlfriend yet. I think I was still too scared at the time. Um, but when we, when we first started hanging out, uh, she invited me. One of the first places she wanted to invite me to uh, was her Aunt Lorraine's house. And she said that, that we were going to go over there and we were going to make Christmas cookies with Aunt Lorraine and Grandma. Now, I'm not going to lie. I thought this was kind of weird. Um, but, you know, when you're in that, in that, like, space where you're just starting to, like, date somebody or you're interested in dating somebody, you agree to do some pretty weird stuff sometimes. That's not advice. That's not advice. I'm just telling you, like, low-key how it goes, right? And so, and so I, for whatever reason, was like, okay, bet, sure, we can go make... Christmas cookies with your grandma and your aunt, and that sounds good. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm going to be fully honest. She's in kids' classroom. She don't know what I'm saying right now. Listen, I did not want to go. <laughs> not even a little bit. Not even one small part of me was interested in being a part of the baking process. <laughs> the only part of the kitchen you want me to have is cleanup afterwards. And even then, where the paper towels at? Because I don't really know. You, don't, you, you just don't want me in there, right? But I was like, okay, here we go. We're going to go. When I got to Aunt Lorraine's house, um, once we got past the awkwardness of, of how young I looked and uh, yada, 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 uh, I, I quickly realized that in this family tradition, in this process of baking cookies, nobody actually bakes cookies except for Aunt Lorraine and Grandma. Everyone else is invited over to watch, but not participate. It's intentional. It's intentional. It's not like people don't want to participate. It's that they're invited to not participate. And so I sat there and I realized that in this whole process, I was not going to be a contributor. And so I asked, like, what would you have my job be? What, what do you want me to do? And they said, uh, eat the ugly ones or the ones that fall on the ground. <laughs> and I realized that not only was I not a contributor, but I was actually just going to sit there and be a consumer. And check this out. I was very much okay with that. I was very much okay with that. I sat there for a really, really long time and just ate cookies that they said it was okay to eat. It's a lot easier, I think, to go into situations knowing that you'll be a consumer rather than a contributor. It's easier to go into sporting events knowing that you're just there to watch and you're not the one in pads on the field getting criticized. It's a lot easier to go into church knowing that you're just going to sit there and watch the worship team and listen to the preacher, maybe, and not actually, you know, have to like do something. My fear is that is that, that has actually infiltrated its way into, into fully indicating how we live our, our faith out. I'm afraid we've fallen into that trap where we've gotten so comfortable consuming and critiquing and selecting the ones that we like or don't like that we have rendered ourselves inactive when it comes to our faith. Oh, I don't, I didn't like that song selection today, or I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't like the passage that they picked, or, 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 or have you ever noticed that that preacher like yells a lot? 
I'm not talking about me. I'm just talking about some other random preacher. Totally not me. We've gotten comfortable consuming rather than participating. Last week, we began a series called More Than Consumers. We began with this idea that we're all looking for something. We're all looking for something, but we really, really don't want to be bothered while we look for it, i.e. when we go into a store and a clerk welcomes us and says, can I help you find something? And even if, yes, they can actually help us, it's like, nah, I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm just looking. But when it, comes to, when it comes to Jesus, see, Jesus couldn't help himself. Jesus just had to. He was compelled. It was divinely appointed. Jesus just had to come to us. He couldn't let us just look. He couldn't let us just figure it out. He just had to. He couldn't not. And so Jesus came here as the original missionary to let us know, like, hey, I see that you're looking for something. And as a matter of fact, I'm so in tune with the Spirit, I actually know exactly what you're looking for and what you need. And check this out. I've got it. I've got it. I, I've got what you need. And, 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 and even better, I want to give it to you. Watch this. For free. Yes, sir. I want to do that for you so that, so that we may be filled. But that also so that everyone can come and see. Uh-huh. So that everyone can come and see and come to know Jesus. We use the story of a woman at a well in John chapter 4, who was hurt and she was avoiding everyone but, but very much looking for fulfillment. And Jesus crossed cultural and societal bounds to go to her. Something that we just like to comment on. Something that we just like to complain about. Something that we just like to further enforce on social media. Jesus went ahead and crossed over to go to her. And he offered her living water, this spring inside of us that we call the Holy Spirit that comes to life when you find faith in Jesus. And the Spirit equips us to overcome the world and empowers us to live as more than a conqueror rather than a hopeless consumer. And out of amazement, this woman ran to tell her whole village, her whole village who had, like, brushed her aside, her whole village who had left her, her whole village who, like, didn't want anything to do with her. And quite frankly, the feeling was mutual. But this was so good. This was so quenching. This moment was just so crazy that she had to go and tell, like, everybody. Yes, sir. And that's the same story that I want to speak out of this morning. We're going to run it back. We're going to do it again. But from a slightly different perspective. So if you haven't already, I encourage you to open your physical Bibles to the Gospel of John. If you go to the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth gospel, fourth book of the New Testament. We're going back to chapter 4. And this time, instead of reading the whole story again, I basically just gave it to you. This time, we're going to look at a different perspective. So this is John chapter 4. The woman is at the well. Jesus is there. They've begun to have an awkward conversation. But now look at verse 8. It says, he, meaning Jesus, was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village 
to buy some food. Drop down to verse uh, 27. Just then, after Jesus had had this whole interaction with her, after this woman had realized that she was speaking with the Messiah, after this woman was just offered living water, then the disciples decide to come back. And verse 27 tells us that that just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But not one of them had the nerve to actually ask, "What, what are you doing with her? What do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? And now let's go down to verse 31. It says, Meanwhile... After the woman had run to go tell everybody, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, you got to eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Verse 33 is honestly one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It's so powerful. The disciples say, did someone bring him food while we were gone? (laughs) Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. We're going to stop right there for right now. So the disciples weren't even around for this whole interaction I just described like 120 seconds ago. Okay, They weren't even around for this whole thing because they were hungry. And so they're like, man, I don't even want to be in Samaria in the first place. I literally told you I don't want to go through that neighborhood, but you the one leading the pack. So I guess we're going to walk through. If as long as I got to be here, I'm at least going to see what their market is talking about. You know what I'm saying? Like as long as I got to be here anyway, I'm at least going to see what type of authentic ethnic food I can find. Uh-huh. I'm hungry. Yes. I'm going to go drop some dough and get some bread. See what I did there? I'm just saying So they missed the whole thing. And then Jesus has this wonderful interaction with a a lost, lonely Samaritan woman. And the disciples walk back in, I'm imagining, with like some Slim Jims and some Doritos and a bag of drinks for the crew. And they walk in, chomping their chips like, what did we just miss? Like you ever like have a moment with somebody and then somebody else walks in the room and you can just feel it like they're not welcome in that room right there? Like, you can just feel it like you just walked into something, like, really, really awkward, and you're just like, oh, I wish I could, like, back out right now. So the disciples come in loudly, eating their food, just like, what did we miss? But here's the thing. Ain't none of them bold enough to say anything about it, so they're just going to stand there awkwardly. And the woman's like, well, anyway, I got stuff to do. So she runs to tell everybody And they look at Jesus like, want a chip? (laughs) And they can't understand why he says no. He's like, I have have food that you know nothing about. And he's like, hold on. We just went to buy food. You had food? (laughs) You could have saved us money. No, no, hold on. Somebody had to bring you something. Who brought you something? When did they come and take your order? Why didn't they get mine? I wanted a Gatorade. What do you mean you got food? Jesus is like, check this out. I know you feel your belly right now. I know you feel your belly. But there's something more fulfilling than putting something in that belly about doing what God wants you to do. 
He says, my nourishment, my energy, my protein, my caffeine, my vitamins, my huh, comes from doing the will of God. There's something so crazy about when you do something spiritual that it's like more fulfilling than smashing on some Slim Jims and some wings really, really late at night. It's more fulfilling than that. Let me ask you something. When it comes to your faith, is your faith more about feeding your belly or doing the will of the Father? Is your faith more about feeding your belly or doing the will of the Father? Now, let me quick throw this asterisk in there. It's not wrong to be filled up. It's not wrong to be nourished. John 15, Jesus is going to say, abide in me, rest in me, be connected to me, and you will be filled up. It's biblical to be filled up. It's good to be filled up. Go get the word. Go, go, go hear worship. Go, go be spiritual. Go get filled up. John 15 tells us that we should be doing that stuff. But then he also says, apart from me, without me, you actually can't do, wait for it, anything. Come on now. You can't do anything. You can eat as much as you want, but you won't be filled. You can drink as much as you want, but you won't be filled. You can high-five, hug, and sleep with as much as you want, but you won't be filled. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he even goes on even further than that and says the point of being a branch, the point of being connected to the vine is to do what? Anybody know? Bear fruit. Do work. Get some evidence. Show that you're being faithful. Have there actually be spiritual evidence of your faithful life. We're coming into a season where you're going to start to see some plants that we ain't seen all summer. That's evidence that something's been going on. You might not have been able to see it since last winter. But you're about to see it plain and clear. Jesus says, that's what I'm asking you to do with your faith to be connected to me, and to bear fruit. But do we continue to enter into spaces like this one with the posture of, what do you, sir, preacher, or you, worship team, or you up there, God, what do you have for me? Or are we entering with the posture of, what would you have me do? Are you expecting something from the worship team or the preacher that's going to get you through your week? That's where we get this attitude of critique. We get in our cars and we're like, I missed that one today. Like, that was so boring. That was so lame. He literally talked about the same passage last week, dude. Like, get some new material. Or I didn't really like the way that that sounded this week. Or I didn't really like, 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 I don't know if you saw, but that kid we call Rev, like, he got, like, really hype, and it made me uncomfortable. And I would just prefer he doesn't do stuff like that when he feels the spirit. That's fine to feel the spirit, but just keep it to yourself. And dang, can we get out and start on a consistent time after all? Like, my goodness. And we get this spirit of critique, Right? 
we get the spirit of critique, but let me tell you where that comes from. That comes from a posture of you being a consumer. That comes from a posture of you saying, this is about me. This is about my time. This is about me getting up and eating this for breakfast. This is about you giving me the word and me feeling good when I leave here so I can watch football in peace like I did something today. And that, and that throughout my week, I can draw on that and feel better. That's the posture that that comes from. But Jesus says, come from a posture of saying, what can I do? What would you have me do? Are you here to give God the praise that he deserves? Are you here to then willingly receive his instruction for your life so that you can go do it? That's a big difference. What's your faith about? Is your faith about you being pleased? Or is your faith about you trying to please the one who enlisted you? Do you actually want to join God on his mission to restore creation back to the Garden of Eden? Or are you just trying to catch that fire insurance? Because let me tell you something about insurance. The only thing that's a sure thing about insurance is that you're never sure what it doesn't cover until something crazy happens to you. But I'm going to let you get that on the way home. Let's get back to the text. (laughs) Verse 35. Jesus is still talking. So good. He says, you know the saying. Here's the thing. We're not going to know the saying, but like culturally, they're going to know the saying. Okay? We're not going to know it. It's it's not plain. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. I told you. (laughs) But I say... Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Jesus says, look around, boys. Look around. Fix your gaze on the things of God, not the things of your belly. He says the mission field is actually ready. See, y'all think you're on this like long walk. Y'all think you're on this like journey where like, we're like eventually like Jesus says he's going to leave us. And when he leaves us, that's when our part starts. Like, so like, I'm just going to sit here and watch you, Jesus, go crazy. I'm going to watch you heal people. I'm going to watch you disciple me. I'm going to watch you knock stuff out of the way. And then I'm going to watch you die and you get back up. But then me, like my part starts like after that. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You've actually already missed it. He says the field is ready. Right now, you think it's this process, this four-month process, this three-year process, this whole process, but the fields are ready right now. You don't even know that while you were gone, I was working on a little something. While you were out there feeding your belly, me and little girl were having a talk, and she saw some things, she realized some things, and now she went and did a thing, and now it's about, it's about to get good. But you don't even realize, because you're talking about, I'm hungry. He says, the disciples, you will soon have an opportunity to do God's will yourself. We're not about to bring in food for our physical nourishment. We're about to bring in people for the kingdom, for eternal life. And that's better than your food. 
See, Jesus knew because of this interaction with the Samaritan woman, Jesus knew what was about to come up that hill. He knew there was a whole lot of Samaritans about to run up that hill they were standing on, and he didn't want his disciples to be caught looking like, man, here come those, here come those Samaritans, man. They just, they bad news, bro. Like, honestly, like, I ain't understood them for like a few hundred years, bro. Like, they just like, like people of other cultures. They just willing to mingle with anybody. Like, I just don't get it. Bro, one time I met a Samaritan, and like, literally, it was like the weirdest thing ever. He didn't want them to be caught looking like that. He said, there's some people that you've already written off. There's some people that you don't think are ready. There's some people that you don't even know what I've been doing with them. And they're about to come up that hill. And you're going to be sitting here looking like, how do I avoid this awkward interaction? But what I'm saying is that's the field. That's the harvest. Go get it. Go get it. I'm trying to tell you what's coming up that hill. Who are the people? Where are the places? What are the things in your life that you're trying, busy, trying to figure out how to avoid or go around or power through? But meanwhile, God's actually called and placed you right in front of. While you've been trying to figure out how to navigate this hard situation... God was busy working on the things that you're trying to avoid in order to give you an opportunity to grow. Do you see difficult people, complicated places, and and, and messed up situations in your life as a hurdle or a harvest? College kids, let me talk to you real quick. Over here. (laughs) There's two ways. There's two ways to look at your classes, okay? There's two ways to look at your classes. You can either look at it as something you just got to get through, as something that you got to meet a particular standard or a particular grading scale in order to accomplish and check off your list, add it to your credentials, and move forward. You can look at it that way, and that's fine, but not really. The alternative way to look at it is as an opportunity, an opportunity to, even if you think this is like useless information, I'm going to be real with you. I don't know when I've actually used geometry, okay? I'm just being honest. I don't know when. But, but it's an opportunity that God is giving you to grow. And then you know what God is faithful to do when he gives you an opportunity to grow? Give you a place where that information he just gave you is applied. He's faithful to do stuff like that. It's crazy how it works, right? So instead of just doing research on like a random place, why don't you do research on your place? Instead of figuring out what helps this people group somewhere over here, why don't you figure out what helps your people group or the people group that you work with most here? Now, what are the things that you can obtain from those opportunities? School in general. I'm afraid that we've gotten to this point with our school system here in the city that we look at it as something to avoid or power through rather than a mission field that is ripe for harvest. So rather than looking at our schools as like, man, how can I figure out how to like not do all that stuff? How can I figure out how to like just completely avoid 
we should be adopting the posture of how can I be a missionary there? How can I do something that impacts change in that building? Maybe you're going through a really hard time right now, and you just don't see how you can be some, like, light in this situation. One of the hardest times of my life, and I wouldn't have looked at this admittedly back then the same way. One of the hardest times in my life was when, a, was when a close friend of mine was in a car accident, and he was in a coma in a hospital for 10 whole days. For 10 whole days, I didn't leave that hospital. For 10 whole days, I stayed right there. And there's two ways I can look at that. I can look at that as a holding cell, as a place where I'm just sitting here waiting to see what happens, praying that it all turns out okay. Or I can look at it as hard as it is, as an opportunity to be light to the family who's suffering more than me and to the nurses who are coming to care for him every single day, for the hospital workers that are up and down these halls all the time and notice that I've been here for 10 whole days. Even in the hardest of situations, guys, there's an opportunity to grow. Even in the most difficult of circumstances where you just feel absolutely crushed and flat on the ground, there's an opportunity. God is giving you to be light. But are you looking at it as a hurdle or as a harvest? Let's finish this text. Verse 37. Jesus says, you know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Jesus says, I've been preparing the soil for you. I know you don't see it. You actually have a very, we don't like to admit this about ourselves. We actually have a very narrow-minded perspective. We actually only see this part. But God's like, I see the whole thing. And what I've been working on is I've been working on the places that you're going to go. I've been preparing the soil. It's not for you to worry about the, the receptivity of the people that you're going to go to. It's, it's for you to be obedient and go into the field and do the work that needs to be done. It's not for you to be caught up in the big view of everything that needs to be done. Like, oh, this is such a big issue. How are we going to tackle this huge issue? I haven't asked you to conquer the huge issue. I've asked you to, to take care of your specific role that I've given you. Let me, God, worry about the rest. I've already prepared the way for you. Don't believe me? Wait for it. Look at my son. Once upon a time, you were dead in your sin. Once upon a time, you were doomed and damned to be eternally dead, gone, yes. punished, separated. Once upon a time, that was true. I sent my son to begin a process of changing that. And here's what happened. People that he encountered while he was on his way to changing that didn't know what was happening because their perspective was here. His perspective was here. My perspective, they didn't even know. A lot of them didn't even realize until they had been personally touched. 
And even then, they still only understood a small part of it. Why do you think that we've got passages like verse 33 where they're like, did you get something to eat? These are the 12 guys that watched Jesus sleep. These are the 12 guys that smelled his breath in the morning. These are the 12 guys that ate with him everywhere they went, and they still didn't get it. Jesus died, came back from the dead, and one of them was still like, nah, man, let me stick my finger in that hole. I don't believe it. Jesus says, I've gone ahead of you in a way that you don't understand. My son conquered death because you ain't getting over that one, right? So I had to go ahead and do it. My son got up because you can't get new life, and so I had to go get it for you. And my son left you with the Holy Spirit because because ultimately we all fall short and we can't figure it out ourselves. And so let me give you a tool. Let me give you an advocate. Let me give you a spirit that transforms you beginning on the inside. And then you actually live that out and work that out on the outside. And it's not till like later on that you were like, oh, I see what you did there. I've gone before you to take care of all of this. And now everyone's got a role. Let me ask you, what's yours? Everyone's got a part. We shouldn't be weighed down with, oh, what are we going to do about our neighborhood? Why don't you start with the parts that you can already affect, like your own home? Don't let me hear you worrying about the neighborhood until you're worried about your own home. Why don't you start with affecting the people that you live with, your family, those who come over, Then you can look at your neighbors and worry about them. Then the people on the other side of them. And then so on and so forth. Here's what I love about our church. Here's what I love about Third Street. Here's the thing. Let me me preface this by saying, I'm not saying like you have a role. I'm not saying that everybody has to find their role at Third Street. I'm saying that everybody has a God-given role. And God has asked you to go into some field. Some of you will find it here. Others, God is calling you elsewhere. And as much as you all know, I hate to admit that, it's true. Some of you won't be in Canton forever. Stop it. Yes, you will. But here's what I love. Here's what I love about our church. Is that there are so many people here that are already doing this. We've got these things called parks where people are living on mission alongside one another to a specific people or a specific place. There are people already out here doing it, and they're inviting more people to come alongside of them. Pastor, what is Third Street doing about the next generation? Let me tell you. We've got your kids twice a week. We've got them right now, and we've got them on Wednesday nights. You want a date night? Bring them on Wednesday. You want to go upstairs to a class? Bring them on Wednesday. You want to hoop? Bring them on Wednesday. We got them twice a week. And McQueen great. She's great. My kids might know more about the Bible from Miss McQueen than they do from me. And I'm the pastor, so I shouldn't admit that. Forget I said it. Oh, students. My goodness. First of all, look around. But also, we've got pockets of students all over the place. We've got pockets of students all over the place. Some of them are specifically geared towards those who want to play basketball. And guess what? That's okay. Because sometimes kids just need to hoop. 
Some of them are geared towards, towards students who want to specifically go deeper in their faith. Hey, I've already accepted this, and now I want to have like an actual like deeper conversation. What about college kids? It seems like you got a lot of those around. College students, young adults. I'm sorry for calling you kids. That's not even true. But what, what about the college-age people? Well, if you ain't doing nothing at 4.30, you can come over to my house. It's family dinner tonight. I already know you're going to be there. But we've got houses and people all over the place that are regularly inviting college students in, first of all, to feel like they have a place and a home that they belong, but also to have a home-cooked meal. Because sometimes, no, uh, we'll let it go. We'll let it go. We'll let it go. (laughs) What are we doing about families? What are we doing about people who are incarcerated? What are we doing about, about, about the women that I see on my block? What are we doing about them? What I love is that there are people already living on mission within our church in those areas. We also have all these community partners. They cover such a wide range of fields, and they're already just set up and ready for us to join them right where they're at. Those fields include housing, education, employment for women in other countries. All of those things are partners that we have that are ready for people to step in and help out right now. So what's your role? What community do you need to join and get to work with? Or is there a gap? There are gaps. Where do you need to fill a gap? Where do you need people to come alongside of you and join you in a mission field that God has called you to? Your faith is different when you become a contributor. Your faith is different when you stop being a consumer and begin to contribute. God is faithful to fulfill and do incredible work when we change our perspective And see the field before us. What is God calling you to do? Who's that one person that God's calling you to reach now? Where's that one place where God is asking you to build his presence into that place? What's that one thing? What's that one thing that he's calling you to be a part of? or to take differently, or to impact, where is God calling you? What are you going to do about it?